So ready for a summer trip to New York City? RCAT is headed to New York City for the AIA Conference on Architecture next week. Come visit the Big Red A at booth 707 on June 21st and 22nd at the Javits Center, where every morning RCAT will be serving coffee for visitors, and throughout the day we'll have their BIM expert, Robert Wygant, explaining their new Revit plug-in, BIMINIT, pronounced BIM-IN-IT. Stop by Booth 707 anytime to learn how RCAT.com can save you time and money finding product information for your projects. Remember, just look for the big red A. It's so big you can just walk through it. So it's big. Oh, and a couple of us will be there too. So if you see us walking around the show floor, especially at the RCAT booth, just say hi. That would be cool to uh, to meet you if you're a listener to the show. And we would love to chat and say hi and see what you're up to. So Definitely stop us if you if you see us. Welcome to Archispeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 143 of the Archispeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And hey, to get us started this episode, I wanted to touch on, we draw lots of things, we model lots of things, but how often do we actually build lots of things? Or build anything? Well, in this episode, we got something fun to do, because Evan's been building lately, and I really want to hear about lessons learned, things he should have done, <laughs> uh, experience, of, and, and then just a little bit about what you're actually building. Yeah, so a few episodes ago, I had talked about the water damage in my kitchen, and oh man, it just led down the uh, the rabbit trail of, okay, now we're redoing the whole kitchen. So I think we talked a little bit, I think we, we I understood that the last time we talked about this. So now I'm in the, in the midst of all of that, and I mean, it's been a couple of months since all of this happened, and I'm getting ready now to pour concrete countertops for my Ikea cabinets. And so I can kind of talk a little bit about what it took to get here. And I can also talk about just some of the the things that have come up throughout the process. And like you just said, what are some of the highs and the lows and the, the redos and things like that? Because yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a good topic to think about where it's normally if you, you it's easy to draw something, I'll, I'll just care, characterize it that way versus actually build it because that, that's <laughs> yeah. my experience. I don't, I don't build stuff all the time. I love building stuff, but, um, and I, I'm okay at it, but it is way different to draw a reveal and then to actually put a real reveal in and, and make it look good. So that, right. that could be something we could talk about today. Well, just kind of, before you kind of dive into it, um, don't you ever think, I mean, we've probably had a little bit of experience, um, especially like in school or something where we des- design something and, you know, have to like build a model, scale model or something like that. And, you know, a lot of times it turns out where we, it doesn't always become what we thought when we drew it, because when we build it, it's a lot harder and things like that. But, um, I was just talking about this with somebody um, like just a couple of days ago, actually. And I said that one of the things that I like to do with, you know, new hires that you know are going to be working with me 
is to take them out onto, you know, a job site so that they can start to see what, um, you know, what it is, like, what does that line mean? You know, I've said that before, you know, what does the line mean? You know, I mean, you, yes. you draw the line, you know, and, that is exactly it. And, and so, so I, I, I wanted to, you know, just throw that out there as like, you know, I mean, you know, it's so much, I mean, to, to like, just echo your sentiment, it's like, it's so much harder to really build and build it right yeah. than what it is to draw. Well, I'll just start off by, by saying that makers, makers rule, like if you can make stuff, then you you will have a much better thought process when it comes to actually drawing things and laying things out. So if you have any inclination to do it yourself, to actually you know invest in some tools, you will be better off for it, no doubt about it. As far as design or production or anything that you do in an architecture office, if you can understand how things go together, you'll have a leg up. And I think that is why there is so much emphasis put on model building or there was when, at least when we were in school. And I know that, you know, I just sat through some first year reviews. There is a, still a huge emphasis on model building. Yeah. And I think that's why, and obviously it doesn't get to the level of detail of actually building real things that real people have to use every day, but it's a good start. And so actually just getting the knife in your hands, getting the saw, the time on the saw, getting, putting things together, different materials, thinking about how they're going to come together. It, it all helps and it all adds up to, getting a better understanding of how the the real things go together. And that's why we kind of always preach about what the importance of going to job sites and actually right. seeing how the projects come together and, and looking at the interesting ways that problems are solved when, when it is real stuff and not just lines on a paper, because we talked last episode about how the BIM models are getting more and more detailed and they're trying to figure everything out before they actually build it to reduce the number of change orders or to just understand how it's all going to go together. And the, the, sequencing of of things and i think that's really where i guess i'm I'm just going to keep chatting here about like, the importance of understanding all of this how these things come together and and i guess that's where i spend most of my mental time during my kitchen project is just sequencing figuring out sequencing because i don't do this every day i, I do i'm not a contractor right i don't actually build stuff all the time right and while i love it it is a much bigger problem than just translating what I thought about or what I drew to, to reality because it's the sequencing of events, you know, and we talked a few minutes ago before the show actually started about just what, what does it take to get to the point where you can pour a concrete countertop? I mean, it's, Hmm. there are many things that need to happen before you do that pour that if you screw up, you've just wasted a lot of time and money and probably ruined a lot of things that are underneath the the concrete (laughs) that you don't want to redo. Um, and so it's kind of taking precautions and, and just making sure everything is right, making sure that the the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed before you actually rent the mixer and, and mix the concrete and pour it in there. Um, so Evan, I'm curious. So you tear out all your kitchen cabinets now you mentioned IKEA cabinets. Now they're not custom made, right? So they have fixed sizes, right? Right. But your kitchen is existing. How are you getting the cabinets to fit? Or yeah. what are you doing when they don't fit? You have gaps or or something, right? Yeah. Sorry, I just had a real like tired stretch right there that I was just <laughs> doing because this is what I've been living. Let me guess. You've been working on a kitchen. 
Yeah. So yeah, I work about 12 to 14 hours a day every weekend on this. And then I try to do a little bit each night after work on it too, because we need the kitchen. Um, and, and this is just part of doing it yourself because I'm, I'm an architect. I, I can't afford to have, I cannot afford to pay somebody to do this for me. My wife and I were thinking through what it would actually take to get somebody to do what we're doing. And it would probably cost about 20 grand and that does not include the cost of the stuff, right? That's just mm-hmm. to do it. And so, I mean, we're saving a lot of money, but at the same time, it's, it is a lot of work. So just being honest about that up front. And it's tiring work. Like my feet hurt the most. Um, I sleep really well. Um, but at the same time, I really enjoy it. And, and so like on Monday morning, I will enjoy going back to work just so that there's balance in my life. I love building stuff and I could do it all the time. So anyway, just just going back to your question, Neil. So yeah, existing conditions. Um, what's really interesting to me, and I'm sure this would be something that a contractor would be like, well, yeah, duh, um, is the knurled nature of a 60-plus-year-old house, right? Like walls yeah. are not straight nor flat. Um, I have plaster walls. I don't have jipboard walls on the inside of my kitchen. So even there alone is varying thicknesses, and it's not something you just see. It's something that you actually would have to go in and measure and figure out. And that is not something that I did. So that's kind of a lesson learned. And that's something that I've been adjusting for throughout the build. So we laid out in CAD just kind of like what we thought we were going to do. And basically, we just decided to replace like for like with our kitchen. For the most part, we changed a few things. But the layout, the main layout didn't change. So we were trying to figure out the best way to fit the standard modular cabinets. And they have enough variation. They've got 15-inch, 18-inch, 24-inch, 30-inch, and 36-inch wide cabinets, right? So within that, you can do just about anything. And if you need to adjust a few inches bigger, you you have infill panels to do such. Um, but where And where IKEA cabinets actually have a leg up is their adjustability. There is tons of adjustability built into these things, whether it's height, leveling, or even just how you attach it to things. So you can attach to walls, you can attach to floors, um, you can attach cabinets to cabinets. Anything you can do to kind of stiffen the whole system up is a good thing. Um, so for a, for a while, we had just built tons of cabinets, and they were just littered throughout our house um, because we needed to stage. Um, while While we were still kind of parallel living in our old kitchen for as long as we could, we were trying to do all the things that we could do so that so that we didn't live without a kitchen for very long. Um, and then luckily, luckily for us, we bought a new standalone stove. So we've had that hooked up for quite a while, for a couple of weeks, um, where we can just cook on that. It's not like a drop-in one that goes into a, a countertop. And then also we have a sink out in the, right out in the garage, which is right next to the kitchen. So we've still been able to function here for the most part without too much trouble. Like it's not it's not convenient, but it's, it's fine. Um, so that, that has helped us not have to like move out or eat out all the time because we use the kitchen a lot. Uh, we're a family of six and again, we can't, we can't afford to pay contractors just like we can't afford to eat out. Hmm. So, um, I think that, that as we've, once we kind of figured out a layout, you know, Ikea has this 3d kitchen planner on their website and it's okay. It's like using a ARE software and, um, it's, it's one of those things where you hope that you're getting it about right. Like it's no, it's not CAD, it's not BIM, it's nothing like that. But it's it's close. And then they basically build 
you go spend some time there with them and they, they build out the order and then they deliver the order and they deliver the wrong things. So you have to go back and get the right things and you're figuring all this out because they just basically drop off a ton of stuff into your into your driveway. It's just a ton of crap. And you have to go through it all and figure out what you've got and what belongs to what. And I so right from the beginning, you're put into the you have to manage all of this information kind of a mindset because like you have to operate like a database. You've got we had over 200 parts just sitting in the garage and, and you, there is no instructions that say what goes where that's up to you to manage. And, and so you, I'm sure that a lot of people hire contractors to install Ikea kitchens. And, and I keep thinking about that as I'm doing this, like what would it actually take a normal homeowner? And I don't consider myself a normal homeowner just because I have all these tools to do stuff. But what does a normal person do? How do they do this? I have no freaking clue. You would have to spend twenty thousand dollars in tools to do it, and then and I, luckily, you know, I've done that a little bit over the last thirty years. So I've I've built up a huge amount of of tools in my garage to be able to do all this stuff. Um, so that that's these are kinds of the things that we're we're thinking about as we go through. And this none of this has anything to do with building anything yet. But so we we assembled everything, then we tore out the old kitchen. We put all the cabinets back in, and that's when I realized, like, oh, my God, like, nothing is flat, nothing is straight, and it's just been kind of this getting everything to fit right, you know, lots of shimming and adjusting and leveling, and, you know, the floor's not totally flat, the ceiling's not totally flat, the walls aren't flat, they're not straight, they're not at 90-degree angles, my house was built in the 40s, so it's it's just over time, you know, things have settled and changed, and or maybe they didn't build it right. I would say that the quality of the build was actually really good. Um, but still, over time, you know, things things move. So it's, that's been kind of a, a constant battle for us is just getting things to uh, that are very precise, you know, made in a factory, these boxes that IKEA builds, and then putting them together into a house that it was definitely not made in a factory. <laughs> so how do you adjust all these things what sort of things do do they does ikea give you shims and other things or have you just had to create this stuff to try and level everything out so one of the one of the most ingenious things about the ikea system is that they know this they know that people are putting these things into non-perfect conditions right so they give you basically two different ways to to adjust things the first thing that they've got is these rails that run along walls because not everybody has studs exactly where they need to go so that you could screw cabinets in and they'll stay there right so they put the you put these rails on that run horizontally and you put them on for the upper cabinets and the lower cabinets and then you screw those into wherever your studs are and then you hang your cabinets on those and then the base cabinets get the added ability to have legs under them and the legs are adjustable as well mm. and that's it so so the legs i will say are probably the worst part of ikea cabinets is because they're plastic um, they work but you cannot move cabinets around while they're sitting on these legs you actually have to lift them every time you want to do something because the legs will just snap off oh boy they sell nicer legs that are stainless steel that screw into the bottom and you definitely can kind of push your cabinet around a little bit on those without snapping those off like ripping them out of the base of the cabinet but then 
you run into other problems like the kick plates don't snap onto those because they're a different diameter than the plastic ones. So these are all things that you kind of have to keep in mind as you're doing all this. But basically you just unscrew or screw in the, the, the legs and they get anywhere from four and a half inches tall up to six inches tall. And so you have a lot of adjustability and you, you can, you can definitely like lay on the floor and reach to the back and adjust that. And it does pay to have lots of leveling devices uh, so that you can make sure that your cabinets are totally flat, which is key. That's cool. Right. So now with Ikea cabinets and, and probably any cabinets, right? You get the cabinet, you don't get a countertop. You could, you could buy, you can buy IKEA countertops if you're just going to do okay. standard 24 inch deep everything. And they do have one island countertop, which is wider. But yeah, I, I, we didn't, we didn't go that route because you can also do quartz through IKEA if you wanted to, uh, but it's really expensive. It's like seventy bucks a square foot. Ouch! Installed. Okay. Which I think is kind of standard. And we, I do have some contacts. Obviously, being an architect has some affordances when it comes to knowing reps and getting architect discounts on things and through you know dal tile i could get quartz countertops for five bucks a square foot for the material but then i need to find a a fabricator installer and that is another 35 bucks a square foot so 40 bucks a square foot so it's a little more than half of what ikea would cost mm -hmm. and i still can't afford to do that i mean it's it's so much countertop that it would be six thousand dollars for everything to do it that way so what i decided to do instead or what we decided to do instead was go the concrete countertop route my wife found this youtube video that led us to this really cool website so they're they're not a sponsor of this show but it would be cool <laughs> if they did uh but there's this there's this website called countertop solutions and they are actually i think it's concrete countertop solutions um and they sell a kit that we found and it's really neat because I say that having not poured concrete countertops yet, probably <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Come back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. we should do a concrete is hard. I've, I've done concrete before and it's hard. So I I'm not looking forward to it. I'm, I'm pretty nervous about it actually, but they sell this kit that has these plastic forms and a fiberglass mesh that goes into it. And I'm pouring thin countertops because I'm a designer and I want a thin profile of course <laughs> on <do>. my countertops. <laughs> and also I have like weight considerations that I'm trying to make. Like I don't want these to be really thick concrete countertops that are smashing my, my cabinets. And I don't want to mix as much concrete. And, you know, so there's all kinds of things that I'm thinking about. But, but at the same time, like thin is hard because it's thin. Like, and we all know concrete cracks, right? So it's one of those things where... I'm, I'm, that's why I'm nervous about it. But so they sell this kit that basically you choose a front edge profile. And so I've chosen, you know, as designers do a nice flat front edge profile. And then there's a back cab back of the counter profile, which is just a standard angle. And you screw these down to a hardy backer underlay. So yesterday I got all the hardy backer in and now I'm cutting all the forms. And what's cool about these forms is that the back form stays in. You'll never see it because the backsplash will come down and cover up the little eighth inch edge that is still there. And in the front, you screw it down to the hardy backer. And then after the concrete, you screw, you use this, this um, formwork from the front to the back to screed your concrete against. So you get a nice level countertop. Hmm. But then 
once the concrete cures, you snap off the front edge. It has like a built-in break to it. So this is all like patented stuff. You know, the guy's got patents all over his website. So you, you buy it from him and hopefully people aren't copying his, his pretty cool invention here. But um, once it cures, you snap these things off and you just have this perfect, you know, air quotes right here, perfect, you know, no bubbles in it or anything, um, front edge to your concrete counter. And then you just give it a, a nice light sanding and, and you're done. Um, so it's it's a pretty cool system. You have to seal it though, right? Oh, you got to seal it like four times. Yeah. But the the system is ingenious because... The formwork is the hard part, right? Getting good formwork in a kitchen where it, it's a lot of concrete is poured without any ever having to be exposed. So formwork isn't as big of a deal on big construction jobs, but in a kitchen, like it's a big deal. Like you, a lot of people pour counters in pieces upside down out in some other location, you know, the backyard, and then move them into place. Which is we can't do that. the The layout of our kitchen it, it wouldn't work and there would be places where it'd be so thin it would just snap when you're carrying it. So um, we, we're we actually doing this in place to save a lot of money. I mean, overall, I think we spent about $1,000 on just the countertop formwork, the concrete, the knockouts for the sink, the mesh, like all of the things that you need and versus 6000 And so that's kind of been my strategy the whole time is what can I, what, how can I minimize my cost for the whole thing and supplement that with my labor. Hmm. So that's been my approach to everything. That's going to be the approach with the flooring. That was the approach with the cabinets, right? It's physical labor for me to to put them together and install them. Actually, for my kids and my wife who who did most of that work. And then um, it's just my labor that I'm donating towards this project to actually install it all. And I've been enjoying it so far. We'll see what happens tomorrow when I pour. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say, again, we'll come back and check in on you. You know, when you're done and you're pouring it tomorrow, but then when are you gonna re-pour it? Yeah, don't say that. <laughs> oh man, don't jinx it. Oh crap! Yeah, now see, that's the thing. It's like, what am I gonna do if, if something goes wrong? I'm just gonna make the best of it, and, and it's gonna be what it is. And it's gonna have character and charm. Yeah, those words. That's what it's gonna be. Air quoting here: character, charm. Yeah, yeah. Back to your original question, Neil, about like what it drawing it versus doing it. Yeah. Maybe there's a there's a title. I I think that like in the soffit that I built, we had to we tore out this upper cabinet that had our old stove, uh, the range hood in it, and it was just this terrible low velocity fan that didn't do anything. Tore all this out and put, bought a new like you know, free floating island hood in the ceiling. And so I had to build this soffit to create some separation between the dining room and the kitchen and it came out really nice but that soffit i decided to do a reveal around the top edge of it so that the soffit kind of floated down three quarters of an inch from the ceiling so it felt like a separate architectural element inside the room getting all architecture now so so this was it's one of those things where we we draw reveals all the time right easy yeah, I want to I want to make it seem like those two things don't touch or maybe it's on a facade or wherever it goes, you know, you want to create a line that means something. Right. And and so I we never drew any of this stuff. We're we're very much like the design build approach here. It's like we figure it out as we go along and I'll sketch some details here and there on the back of a napkin or whatever as we're building or on the piece of wood itself or you know, 
And and so went down to Fry Reglet down in Santa Ana, picked up a couple pieces of this, you know, ten foot long piece of aluminum that is the reveal. And go to install it. You know, I got my metal saw and I'm cutting it up and putting it in and installing it. Well, when you install it, you drill your own holes through it to attach it, and then you've got like a metal pan head screw. And and then you put the drywall in, and it's like, well, the drywall doesn't like go over those pan head screws and fit right. So you've got to kind of like dig out the back of the drywall where every screw oh. is so that it fits under the lip of the fry reglet. And and then you got to screed your mud against that. And, and it's a lot of extra effort to get it to to look good. So And it was new, right? So I guess if you do this all the time, you know exactly what you're doing. It's not a big deal. But it just made me think, like, oh, that is such an easy thing to draw. And and obviously experience plays a huge part in this when it comes to building stuff. But it is it is a pain in the ass to get it to look right. And, and to actually work. And so I'm happy to say, like, it all came out fine. But getting there was a lot of extra work for something that's so simple to draw. It would have been much easier just to pull the drywall all the way up to the ceiling. Right. Call it a day. It would have been done. But it's a lot of extra thinking. And so when, Cormac, you said, you know, what does that line mean when you draw it, right? That was something we were always taught. Right. When you draw right. a line, it means something. And so don't draw extra lines that don't mean anything. Just draw, you know, your job is to communicate. And... This is one of those things where it's like, yeah, man, some things we we just take for granted. They're so easy to draw, but especially when you're trying to fit something into existing conditions, that's where I think things get tricky because in CAD, everything is perpendicular. Everything is parallel. But when you actually go to build it, <laughs> being early yeah. on the job is better than being late on the job, right? The yeah. trim work, that the last 10% is the hardest. and And especially like... With my design sensibilities, I like things to be clean, and I don't want a bunch of little crappy trim boards everywhere. This is not a cabin that I live in. Mm -hmm. This is, I, you know, I want my house to look minimal and nice, and minimal or simple is hard. I'll just say it that way, because oh, yeah. not everything is 90 degrees, and, and not everything is as simple as drawing it. I mean, it just isn't. So that's the big thing, big takeaway. Yeah, I tend to think that, you know, minimalism or, you know, minimal design, it actually is probably far more complicated than, you know, slapping up a bunch of like trim to cover up the mistakes because, Oh, totally. You, you, yeah. Cause you can't make mistakes because you, you have to, it has to yeah. be perfect because it's going to totally. telegraph the problems. Totally. I, I learned that first year in college because I did a bunch of case studies <laughs> on Craig Elwood. Uh, and Craig Elwood is a master of minimalism. And yeah. I remember the professors saying, like seeing details that were drawn, and, and it's like, how, how much effort did it take to get to that detail, to keep subtracting and getting less and less parts so that it could be as simple as possible? And I just remember them commenting on, that is a that is a difficult detail to achieve. It's It's one thing to like get your life's work to the point where you know that a, something is going to work the way you drew it, but then right. also for someone to have a partnership with somebody to build it that way versus say, Oh, we're just going to build it. Like we, we built it before on this other thing. <laughs> we're going to use, we're going to just use CMU for that. And I mean, that's kind of a typical mentality. We hear it all the time, right? It's, Oh, we're just going to do it this way. Cause that's how we, we know it works. We know it's fast. We it's, it's cheap. It's cheaper. 
And and so then then it becomes kind of a battle on the job site of no the the intent here is this and and this is really what we're after and yes it costs more or maybe it's harder or whatever but that's what you bid on and that's what you're going to build and that becomes a an interesting conversation to have right because especially when the when the client is looking at you and you they're like why did you draw it like that because now we're having to have this argument about it um i think that's i'm kind of living that in my own my own head in my own kitchen great yay fun yeah but you know all said and done this this gives a gives anybody who's willing to take this kind of stuff on i think it gives you a huge leg up when it actually comes to to being an architect and and thinking about how you're going to build how stuff will be built i you know i i honestly can't even stress enough like you know the the ability to understand the construction side of things being able to build stuff uh for yourself you know after you've drawn it out and then actually build it is so, such a valuable tool for architecture because you're you understand and so when you're drawing things out you know then you start to actually you know I was thinking about this you know you you start to understand um why sometimes you get all of these RFIs and they're you know asking you all these questions and you're like well you know and you you always want to like say well means and methods means and methods well and they're just like yeah but what you drew really isn't buildable the way that you think it is and it's going to be far more expensive to build it that way um and so really to kind of like understand the construction process and being able to build something to me think makes you better so that, you know, one, you possibly can minimize your, your life during CA. So you're not, you know, having to deal with a bunch of RFIs asking, you know, how do you build, you know, you drew it, but how do you build it? Yeah, totally. I'll give you another example. Uh, you've got an existing kitchen, dining room, pantry area, and you want to put can lights in. Well, yeah, figure it out. Draw it on CAD. Draw it in RCP. Yeah. Put those circles where they go. Drop a few symbols in there. That's it. Okay. Now go up in the in the attic <laughs> and look where those joists are. And and what are you going to do when that when that can light is right where a freaking joist is? Right where it is. Exactly. What now you have a decision to make. <laughs> and, and don't you know we we can't move it because you know it's going to ruin the the design. We all know you cut the joist, okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or in my case, I had a floor joist. So when we built this house, I had a floor joist, ironically enough, right over the center of my sink. How the hell does that happen? But it happened. It happened. So yeah. now instead of one light above our sink, we have two. Yeah. yeah. One on each side yeah. of the joist. You solved the problem, right? You had a decision <laughs> I to make. the problem. <laughs> uh, but Evan, you, you said something earlier about the things that you learn and then being able to take those back into the office. When I built this house there, in fact, it took me, I'm still traumatized by it daily. There's, there's so many things that didn't come out correctly or just the way I wanted because of my own inexperience in in construction, basically. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had been an architect for many years at that, even at that point And, but I'd never really built anything and I'd been on what job walks I'd been on plenty of frame walks and, and things of that nature. Well, yeah, there's a difference between seeing it and doing it. Right. 
Yeah. Well, and being responsible for it, right? Because yeah. when the con, everybody's looking at you like, well, how do we do this? You drew this. Like, oh, sh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hmm. Let me <laughs> yeah, get back to you on I that. I look one. at myself a lot. Yeah. And so you have to figure it out. And, and sometimes you, you don't figure it out well, yeah. or you compromise. Like I wanted to do something like your reveal in my downstairs bathroom. I wanted, we have like a sheet of glass that covers the shower over maybe three quarters of the width. And I wanted that sheet of glass to just go right into the sheetrock. So it just looks like it disappears. Yeah. You can't even see it. Yeah. And arguing with the contractor, the installer, the window people, or the glass people, and all of that, I, 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 I just gave up. Eventually, I just gave up. I had, I knew a way we could possibly do it, but I couldn't get anyone to do it. Hmm. And so, it's like, yeah. So now you just see the little track yeah. attached to the and to it's the normal, rock. right? And and it's normal. And it's fine. But you know what? Here I am, ten years later still bugs me yeah. it's like no that's not quite what i wanted yeah right and like i said trauma it's it seriously it i i just have to not look at things in my own house because they didn't come out the way i wanted them there was a job we detailed a like a reception counter with a piece of vertical glass doing what you're saying where it just kind of disappears into the desk mm-hmm. with a channel that was buried right there to right. receive it go out to the job site they and there was details for this. There was an axonometric drawing. You go out to the job site. There is a piece of storefront with glass sticking out of it. <laughs> oh, damn it! What, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? It looks fine. That's right. It, it looks, looks fine. fine. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you shake your head. And you just like. Yeah. I learned to pick my battles, which sounds strange. I'm paying these people to do the work. It's on my own house, and you pick your battles about what you want done or yeah. not done, yeah. right? Well, I have a guy helping me with the drywall, and I was telling him about the reveal, and he just looks at me, and he goes, you're going to do that part, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that... Well, something else I, I wanted to bring up that, that goes to your sequ- sequencing question uh, or or problem i should say mm-hmm. is it's so important there's so many things that happen on this house that it, but for example my flooring was here it was um i forget what happened but things happened out of sequence and and scheduling who could be here who can't be here and so the flooring went in before the idiot plumber i had had done the plumbing for my bathtub upstairs so and i have a freestanding bathtub so it sits you know there's no walls around it or anything just sits right down under the floor we actually had to come back in and and tear out a section of my office ceiling so he could go in and do the work underneath because the floor had already gone in i i forget exactly what happened but I mean, we did. We we took out a chunk, yeah. four by four chunk of my ceiling that had already been taped, textured, painted. Everything was done, and he we had to rip rip it up, do it, and then patch it back up. And I, I have to say, the the texture people, the second or third people I had to hire to do this house um, after the first one totally screwed up so bad. 
they did a fantastic job. You can't even tell. That yeah, it was yep. ever I think ta- that that's taken out. that's something that we as architects don't even usually consider as possible, <laughs> right? Which yeah. is, is we overthink everything to the point where, and this is it's something that I bring up just because it came up yesterday. And and the guy that that hmm. is, was helping me yesterday, he he's he's like, well, while while you figure that out, I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. So. Uh, and, and, and I, he, he's like something that I notice with educated people is that they overthink things and he goes, and yes, I'm calling you educated. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Right. So, and the funny thing was, was, was like, he's very much of a, just get it done kind of an attitude, which is pretty normal with, with contractor, right? Like I want to get done and get out of here. And, and I want it to be done too, but I want it to be done right. And I think that, one of the things that I do too much is that I overthink or I, I want everything to be so right that I, I think about the sequencing so much. And this goes right into what you were saying, Neil, is if we need to cut open a piece of drywall to, to fix a thing or add a thing or, or whatever, it's no big deal. And I tend to think of everything as kind of precious and I shouldn't because Mm-hmm. It's amazing how you can just blend that thing right back in and no one will ever know. And I will know, but does it matter? It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that I have to continually relearn on my on my own work here is that it's not unfixable, it's not unchangeable and if we're just willing to to get the saw out and do the thing and then patch it back up and and do the mud and it, no one will ever know any better, then that's what we do. And and I tend to think like, man, once that drywall's patched up, it's up forever, and I can never go back there and fix it. So I better make a really good decision right now. And I kind of torture myself over all this stuff, right? But yeah, like you said, like you've got a ceiling that had a big hole in it, and now you can't even tell, right? Right? Yeah. So there's there, there's just a lot of the there's a lot of unpredictability in all of this too. I mean, it sounds like your project so far has gone pretty well. Everything's you know, you haven't had any other than clearly you knew your house wasn't perfectly square and flat and straight, but I figured that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing about that was like, we've got these upper cabinets and we, my wife wants this cornice that we bought and it's just a very minimal thing so that the cabinets aren't hitting the ceiling. And so we need a, a very particular gap between the ceiling and those upper cabinets for this molding to fit in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? That ceiling is not flat, right? Yeah. Okay, so now we decide, well, we're going to measure down from the ceiling to place that horizontal rail so that we can hang the ca- the upper cabinets, and now they follow the ceiling. Well, guess what? Now the bottom of the cabinets don't match, right? Perfectly. Right. <laughs> and so this is when you start to say, like, where where do you compromise in this chain? Do you compromise that compromise. you're going to have to caulk that, uh, that gap, because my wife hates the thought of that, and I'm not quite sure why, but she she doesn't listen to the show. So um, I'll say that. But um, we could make that gap, that little you know variation disappear. No one would, would ever know, but she doesn't like the thought of that. She wants that, that cornice to fit tight and perfect. But now the bottoms of the cabinets are off, which everybody can see because that's down here at eye level. Right, <laughs> so, right. so propose... Propose the compromise of just tearing out the ceiling and redoing <laughs> yeah. it. Might as well vault it while we're at it, you know. 
How many dis? I can't tell you how many decisions are all like that. Well, well, while we're at it, we might as well do this. Cha-ching. <laughs> and now I look back and I think, man, we should have just laid out this kitchen exactly how we wanted it and not tried to do it like the old one, right? Because right, you start to think right. about stuff like that and, and it, it, it is cha-ching. That's the sound effect. Well, you do sort of get into this paralyzing feeling of when you're doing a remodel. And a couple of my projects are remodels now in the office and we just left certain things the way they were because, oh, well, okay, we're, we're tearing this up and, or we're te- going down to the stud and we're redoing it. But then there are certain things that have come up. I'm like, well, why? I mean, we could change that. I mean, we could just reframe this one, one thing right? and it would be better. I'm like, oh yeah. Why, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> so you can do those sorts of things. You can. And then I think, okay, Budget impacts, time impacts, all well, of those yeah, things true. that you that yeah, are kind of yeah. the intangibles at the in the moment. You don't know what the ramifications are going to be on your budget. You don't know what the ramifications are going to be on on your time frame to get things done, uh, and it all adds up. and And you think, oh yeah, now now's the time to do that, right? We can't do that later, but you don't really think through all, or you don't have the experience to know what the ramifications are going to be for that decision. I, I I got a free dishwasher from a guy who's remodeling his house a few blocks away from me. I got a thousand dollar Bosch dishwasher, which I was not planning on using. I already had a, a dishwasher that I bought last fall. <laughs> it was brand new, but his dishwasher was there's there's all kinds of story behind this. But he it was better. It was better for my project. So it made me rethink all my cabinet layouts. It did all this stuff. Okay, <laughs> but but that's not where I was going with this. With his project. He's giving away his dishwasher because he's buying a whole new kitchen because he was going to remodel some little piece of his house. And now it, they're renting another house while this house is completely torn down to the studs. That's where it led. Wow. Well, yeah, we could redo this. Well, we could redo that. Well, we, while we're doing that, we might as well do this. And I wa- went to his house to pick up the dishwasher. And it's you walk in the front door and it is studs. And this house was built in like the early 1900s. Right. So... And so it's amazing the snowball effect of, well, we could just do this now. We might as well do this now while we're there. And, and, and okay, well, we might as well redo all the electrical now when we, we should just do all the plumbing while we're here and, and everything adds up. And now they're renting another house living. They had to move all their stuff out. They had to give away their, their dishwasher, (laughs) right? Because they're going to buy all new appliances now. And you can see how the snowball effect happens. It's a, it's a wild ride, homeownership. I have to say. Yeah. And so my friend who rents, he's just like, man, I'm glad I just rent. And I'll just, I'll just drop the mic right there. He dropped the mic on me. (laughs) That sounds like a good place to start to wrap up. (laughs) Yeah. Before we go, we got some shout outs to, and some reminders, right? That's right. So, uh, okay. First of all, a couple of podcast recommendations, uh, inside the firm, is a great podcast if you're interested in starting your own firm and learning what that's like and all of the things that you should be thinking about or could be thinking about if you're entrepreneurial in nature. And then there's Entree Architect, which is a fantastic podcast. Uh, we've had Mark on the show before, and so everybody I'm sure knows about him. But if you're interested in, I guess, supplementing or shearing up your business chops, uh, that's really the focus of the Entree Architect podcast. And so his mantra is, what is it? It's a profit first, then art, something like that. Uh, and so mm-hmm. that's, that's great, great podcast for that. Um, and then 
the other thing, two more things. Um, Construct. It's a CSI conference, and this year it's in Long Beach in October. I think it's the fourth through the sixth. We are going to be at that show. Say what? Did you did did you not get the memo? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I better put that on my calendar. So we'll we'll be in Long Beach in October. Uh, we're we're going to be doing a lunch seminar with Sharice Lakeside, who is the most famous CSI person on uh, on Twitter personality. Let's say she she's awesome. So we're excited to be there with her. She's going to be moderating the panel, and we're going to be talking about emerging technology and what it's like working in the practice and a lot of stuff that we talk about here on the podcast. So we wanted to definitely let everybody know about that. Uh, registration is on for for Construct. So if you look that up, um, that would be cool if you could join us there and, and say hi. And then the other thing is we just got a tweet, I think this week, from Rosa Shang over at Equity by Design, and they're having a, another sympo- symposium this fall in San Francisco called Voices, Values, and Vision. It's in November, November 3rd. And right now they are looking for people to, I believe, speak at that show. So we wanted to give a shout out to them. We we love what Equity by Design is doing and their symposium is a huge draw every year. And it's it's a great place where they talk about equity, obviously, equity by design. It's a it's a huge movement. They just had their big survey this year. I think they had over fourteen thousand people participate in that. So it's a huge data set and they're pulling information out of that and publishing it on equity within the profession of architecture. And uh, it's cool to, to get together with those people in person every year, and this is your opportunity to do that. They're also hosting some events at the AIA conference, which is coming up next week. Which we will be there at the AIA That's right, conference. AIA conference, so come say hi once again. Just a reminder, if you see us, say hi. And I think that's it for the announcements and the shout-outs, unless you guys have any other ones. Think tomorrow after you pour your concrete, you'll be shouting out. <laughs> Follow Evan on Twitter for uh, for reactions, mm-hmm. post reactions, because this will come out after you're done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, hey, before we go, let's uh, remind everyone that this episode is brought to you by RCAT. Make sure you check them out at the conference on architecture and look for the big red A. The music is by System Kid. Subscribe to Arcuspeak on Apple Podcasts or listen directly on our site at arcuspeakpodcast.com where you can stream or download every episode and find links to all the different things we mentioned, including all the things here at the end of this show. Follow the show on social media via Twitter or Facebook. Links to all of those can be found at arcuspeakpodcast.com. Stay subscribed, everyone, and thanks for listening. See ya. Peace out, everyone. Oh
Okay.